0: Let me just tell you right now, I believe in the prophetic destiny of the next generation. I believe that through the power of the gospel, young hearts and minds can be transformed and changed. And we saw uh, some of that going on at camp this week. And Joy Church is a place we believe in the next generation. We want to invest in the next generation because we believe that Jesus can do incredible things in young people, even in our culture, right? And so these kids got amazingly touched, and it was incredible. I want to encourage you, if you have teenagers or thereabouts, Close. Send them to camp next year. Make an investment in their eternity. Make an investment in their future. It's an incredible time, and it was a lot of fun. You know, as always with camp, of course it entails really late nights. So we're always going to bed late. So I don't think I actually cleared going to bed before one a.m. at one time all week, and so I was very sleep deprived, even more so than normal. And one particular night at camp, uh, our daughter Penny, uh, Bethy, and my daughter, she's one. And she was not cooperating with the fact that we were getting like four or five hours of sleep. And so she decided to be awake one of the nights. How many parents know what I'm talking about? So Penny decides she's going to be awake. So we're playing, you know, uh, musical beds, like moving back and forth. Okay, tag, you're in. It's like tag team parenting. Uh, You go hold her. And so somehow through the night, Penny ends up in bed with Bethany and I. And I wake up, and the sun's shining through, and I'm just exhausted. But I look over, and there's my, my two angels. There's my beautiful wife, Bethany. What an angel. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. I look at her. She's sleeping. And then I look over, and there's my little one-year-old uh, love nugget, little Penny. She's uh, so cute. And I just look at her. She's beautiful, and her little hair is curled. And then she kind of wakes up, and she turns, and she gives me one of those little innocent smiles, one-year-old, and she's just beautiful. And I'm, oh, what an angel, and the light's coming in. And then Penny grabs the blanket and she looks up at me and she goes, mine. (laughs) And then she grabs the pillow and goes, mine. And she doesn't really talk, but she was able to perfectly enunciate the word mine. And in that moment, I realized my daughter is a human being who is subject to the same thing that we are all subject to, which is this desire, this war inside of our hearts To try to find satisfaction in stuff. My little beautiful angel who's perfect in all ways. You know, no, that's not true. But my little angel, she says, mine. She's able to perfectly enunciate. And right in this moment, I realize that she's subject to this struggle to, to try to find satisfaction in stuff. You know, we're talking in this series, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, about all the ways that we can try to find satisfaction in life. Some people try to find satisfaction in relationships. And we talked about that last week. Some people try to find satisfaction in money and finances. We're gonna talk about that this week. But I'm here to tell you today that the only place you will find real and lasting satisfaction is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I've said it every week, but I want to repeat it that this is not like Oprah or Dr. Phil where we just give you a couple, here's three points and, you know, plug these into your life and here's a life hack and you'll just go out and you'll have a better life. I don't believe in that. I think that life transformation occurs when your soul connects with Christ. When you put a faith and a trust in Jesus Christ that he brings lasting change, soul transformation, not just behavioral modification or moral reformation, but soul transformation takes place when we encounter Jesus Christ. So I will boldly preach that uh, here today. Cool? Yeah. You've been fairly warned. All right. So Penny, she shows me this. This thing, and I realize that's that's where a lot of us are that we're going mine and we think that stuff is gonna satisfy us, that finances just a little bit more, if I could just get this promotion, or if I could just get the house that's a little bit further up the hill, then I will be satisfied, then I will be content. But it's not true. How many of you have understood and encountered this? That as you pursue the American dream, sometimes and oftentimes it turns into the American nightmare. Right? Turns into the American nightmare. That the more we get, doesn't mean that we're more satisfied or more content or more happy. It just means we have more to worry about. There was a guy that ran for president a long time ago, and a lot of you will know who he is, but this guy was a, is a billionaire. His name is Ross Perot. Any remember this guy with the big ears? Yeah. And he said this. He said, guys, just remember if you get real lucky and you make a lot of money, if you go out and buy a lot of stuff, it's going to break. You got your biggest, fanciest mansion in the world. It has air conditioning, it's got a pool. Well, just think about all the pumps that are gonna go out. Or go to, to a yacht basin any place in the world. I don't even does that exist? That's not my my life. Where's a yacht basin? Where do you find that? <laughs> I say, hot toddy. Go to any yacht basin in the world and nobody's smiling, and I'll tell you why, he says. He says, because something broke that morning. The generator's out. The microwave oven doesn't work. Things, he says, they, they just don't mean happiness. Now, I know for all of us who are not billionaires, it's easy to think, well, you're a billionaire, so, you know, sure, money doesn't make you happy. You know, Ian I glanced over at my notes. Ian Hall, where's my Ian at? Give me, yeah, there you are. He looked over and goes, oh, we're talking about finances today. He said, well, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy marshmallows. <laughs> basically the same thing. Yeah, basically the same thing. So I will throw out that caveat. That is true. Money can buy you marshmallows. And uh, glory to God right there. Uh, but money in and of itself, possessions in and of themselves, stuff, the acquisition of more, more, more does not immediately equal satisfaction. Are you with me? Yeah. Amen. Our theme verse for this series is John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says this. And I want you to see this in contrast here. Jesus says, the thief's purpose, speaking of the enemy, the devil, it's to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the enemy's three-part plan for your life. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus wants you to have a rich and satisfying life. But I want to propose to you that as this desire for wealth and this desire to get more, and and I'm not immune from it, right? I have like an old Volkswagen Passat. I I would at least like to have a 2005 instead of a 2003. How many of you are with me? Like if I, our, our vehicle has like two horsepower. Literally, you open the engine, there's like two little horses in there sweating <laughs> profusely, trying to get us up the hill where we live. You know, I, I would be happy to have a little bit more in my life, but, but I want to say something to you today, and I really believe this, that this behind this desire for wealth, behind the desire for more, behind the desire for stuff, is this search for security, okay? To feel safe, to feel secure, And a desire ultimately for satisfaction. You know, if you just had a pile of money in front of you, that in and of itself, the physical existence, that money right there, that's not actually going to satisfy you, right? You hear stories about people that, like, uh, you you know the story of D.B. Cooper? How they found money, like, strown out. He jumped out of an airplane and and they actually thought that maybe he had started to burn money to, like, survive. Like, when you're out in the wilderness and you can't buy stuff, like, dollars don't actually do anything for you. You you hear what I'm talking about? And so money in and of itself actually doesn't provide satisfaction, doesn't give you security. It represents something else, right? Represents something else, something of value. So what if money, what if this desire for money, what if it really doesn't offer us security or satisfaction? I don't believe that it does. I don't believe that just getting more leads us to be satisfied. Let's listen to what Jesus has to say about this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 Someone calls out from the crowd, it says. It says, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then Jesus gets real. He says, beware. And there's an exclamation point behind this because Jesus is, he's saying, listen in right here. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. And listen to this statement right here, which the whole message hinges upon. If you don't get anything else, get something out of this right here. Life is not measured by how much you own life is not measured by how much you own now you might say oh he's saying so that means you know that we're not supposed to have a lot of stuff no it actually works both ways life is not meant to be measured by how much you own or how little you own the value the worth the satisfaction in your life is not to be measured or it's not measured Jesus says by the presence or the absence of resources And then Jesus tells a story. He says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do you know what Jesus has just described? He's described our economic system where we store up enough stuff, build bigger barns, so that when we hit 65, we can say, forget it all, I'm going cruising. Like, I've stored up big barns, and I can eat, drink, and be merry, right? Why do they call cruise a cruise? They should call it an eat, because that's what you really do, right? (laughs) Who cares about the boat? It's about the buffet, right? But anyways, this is what Jesus is describing, this this mentality of if I get more, I store it up, I have security. And this guy says, I'll sit back, I'll, I'll eat, I'll drink, I'll take it easy, and I'll be merry, But God said to him, you fool. You know, if somebody on the street calls you a fool, that's one thing. But if God calls you a fool, you have a problem, right? If God himself is like, you idiot, (laughs) you fool, right? You need to listen in. And he says, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Jesus is saying 2,000 years ago, you can't take it with you, right? You cannot take it with you. Yes, a person is a fool, and Jesus describes what a fool is in this context. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, I want to throw something out here today. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. All of us in a spectrum against the rest of the world are actually very wealthy living in the United States of America. Uh, Relatively compared to the rest of the world, we're all actually in that top upper percentile of wealth and possessions. And Jesus is not condemning owning things or personal property or even working at a job, working hard and and making money and storing up. He's not condemning retirement. He's not condemning this. He says this. Listen, he ties it together. He says, you're you're a fool if you store up earthly wealth, but you don't have a a rich relationship with God. Why? Because life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus gives us the true measurement. It's, It's the richness of your relationship with God. There's something about when you know God, whether you have a lot or a little, there's contentment, there's satisfaction, there is purposeful life in that state of existence. A rich relationship with God. If you're here today and you're like, I just came to the movie theater because the seats are comfy and I got into the air conditioning to get out of the heat, uh, that's great. But I want to tell you that Jesus brought you here to this place because I believe He wants to encounter you, wants to to meet with you and, and begin a relationship With you, And and you can start this process of having this rich relationship with God. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, he carries on this theme about a rich relationship with God and it being true wealth and, and the true measure of life. He says this, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Listen to the imagery. Endless treasures... Anybody else grow up watching uh, DuckTales? Remember when... Yeah. Dun, dun, ooh, right? The best. And DuckTales, remember Scrooge McDuck would dive and swim in his money? How many of you else just... How many of you wanted to do that? Like, I always... It almost kind of looked like this room, you know, if we had gold coins and we could just dive in and swim through the money. And now if you really realize money is filthy and disgusting. But anyways, he's a duck anyways, whatever. So... What an amazing thing, but, but that was like endless treasure, right? He was so rich. You hear about people that are billionaires, that are mul- multi-billionaires or trillionaires, and they just have endless treasure. And Paul uses this imagery to describe a relationship with Christ. I got to tell people, he says, about the endless treasure available to them in Christ. He says, I was chosen to explain this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. He says to all the rulers and authorities in unseen places, uh, in the heavenly places, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And listen to this, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. When you have a relationship with Christ, you can come into God's presence. C.S. Lewis, I always quote C.S. Lewis, so just, just get with me here. He said this, he that has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. Paul says when you have God, you have everything else. But we get turned upside down, don't we, in this pursuit of stuff. Mine. Mine. We think I'll be satisfied when I acquire more. I get a better house, a better car with more horsepower or or whatever, or heated seats or air-conditioned seats or whatever it is. But no, that's not it. You can get that thing... And be missing the real thing, which is a relationship with God. But when you have that relationship with God, that rich relationship with God, you have that as well. He's the creator of all things. Did you hear what Paul said? The creator of all things. C.S. Lewis says, if you have everything and God, you don't have any more than the person that just has God. Because God is the first and the foremost. A relationship with God opens you up to get satisfaction and security that money can never provide. Okay, let's keep reading in the scripture here. Paul, he continues to go on with this. He says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. The infinite value. You can't even put a price on it is what he's saying. It's not quantifiable. You cannot count how valuable a relationship with Jesus is. It's infinitely valuable. Paul says, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. When you get a vision of Christ, when he calls to you, you get a taste of living water and the bread of life that's found in Jesus. You know what? You're going to look at everything else and be like, garbage, garbage. Don't need that. Don't need this. Oh, I got blessed. Cool. I'm going to give it away. I'm not satisfied by stuff. Stuff is great. I thank God for the blessings he gives me, but I have Jesus. When you have Jesus, everything else pales in comparison because he is of infinite value. I want to tell you right now that we have seen a gospel preached in the United States of America and in the the western world which is a gospel of Jesus plus stuff. Yeah. Jesus plus prosperity. You don't there's nothing wrong with prosperity, right? I want to prosper. I don't want us to be this oh we're all going to be poor and sad. No, that's not what we're going to be. We I, we want I want God to give our church millions of dollars so we can give it away. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's nothing wrong with with having money if you have money praise god and thank god for it but if it is the idol in your life if it is the thing that you are pursuing that you have placed your hope in that you have placed your security in and that's where you get your satisfaction ultimately that will fail you but jesus will never fail you and with christ we get a proper perspective of what it means to have prosperity and we we don't and we we possess our possessions they don't possess us come on it's about having a rich relationship. And we understand this in a lot of different contexts. You know, my mom is Sicilian. She's awesome. She's a great cook. And she always buys an, an insanely absurd amount of groceries. We're like, Mom, there's not 100 people coming to dinner tonight, right? There's like 10 of us. She's like, no, 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 I have to make more. And, and like, my mom goes to Costco and they have to restock when she leaves. You know what I mean? <laughs> You know, you're like, Mom. I don't think that you're supposed to like open a line of credit here at the grocery store. Like that's, you're buying too much. But this is my mom, and you know, because I have a relationship with her, I have refrigerator rights. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you have a person that you have refrigerator rights, and it's a good thing? You know what I mean? God wants to give you refrigerator rights. God wants through a relationship. That continues where there's fellowship and communion and a continual time in His presence where you're abiding with Him. And He's the target for you and the place where your satisfaction rests and where you get satisfaction from. And God says, all of my refrigerator rights are yours. If you need something, I'll provide. If you need finances, I'll provide. If you need a place to live, I'll provide But get the target off of money and and stuff, thinking that will satisfy you. It never will. It's a relationship with God that brings satisfaction. And when you have Him, you have everything. You have everything. Jesus talks about this idea that there's really two targets we can place our worship on, our affection on. And we sang that song today, our affection, our devotion poured out at the feet of Jesus. And yet... For many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, my devotion and my affection are poured out to my stuff or poured out to my relationships, but it needs to be poured out to Jesus. But Jesus talks about this. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. It's this amazing sermon recounted to us in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. We'll go, we'll go into this, but he's talking about money. And Jesus often talks about money. Why? Because money is so often tied to where our heart is at. Jesus even says that. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So our money is actually a form of our worship, right? And Jesus is talking about money and he's talking about laying up treasures in heaven. He says, put your investment where it will count, where it will last. Lay up treasures in heaven. But then he says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. He says, nobody can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, Jesus says, Serve God and money, okay? Now, let's put this in a modern context because this is how it works in life. You can't work for Apple and Microsoft, right? Remember, I'm a Mac. I'm a PC, you know. There's a difference here, right? It's Coke or Pepsi, correct? USA or ISIS. You can't be like, hey, man, ISIS, is I'm, they're just misunderstood, We'd be like, uh, what's the misunderstanding? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, there's a team colors here. Now, I'm not saying if you're not, I mean, maybe you need to go fight for them. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> I'll just leave that to you and Jesus. But anyways, there's, a, there, there's like team color. We're talking about loyalty and love, right? I can't be like, hey, Bethany, this is Becky, my new thing, my side boo, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just seeing if I can get, yeah, okay. I've been at camp all week, so I'm trying it. What do you think, Jared? Is that okay? No, he's, he's going. Oh. I can't. Hey, Bethany, this is Becky, my my side thing. You know, uh, if, if I have a side thing, I'm going to get a side thing in my ribs. She's going to stab me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Th- that's not how it works, right? Marriage is about me and, and, and her, her and I, not not this mixture of things. And Jesus says it very clearly, like, hey, it's God or money. It, it can't be both. You can't serve money and pursue money and put the target of your worship on money and also be serving God. This is a mixture that doesn't work. Jesus does not tolerate any other gods before him, right? And we like this, you know, in our culture. Well, you know, Jesus loves you no matter what. And that's true. He does love you. That doesn't mean that he's the Lord of your life, though, right? Well, I serve money, you know, yeah, uh, my priority really is in my career, not in, not in the mission of Jesus or the, the, the message of Jesus to be a follower of Jesus. But that, let me tell you what that's called, guys. It's called idolatry. Idolatry is where any, anything that exists in the space that God wants to occupy. Number one position. God doesn't win the silver medal. If God, God plays golf, his score is 18. He, he doesn't, you see what I'm saying here? He's perfect. He's always number one. He's always first. And and he doesn't, there's no state of existence in which we put God second, third, fourth, or fifth, in which we truly have a rich relationship with him. So we have to get this mindset: look, you cannot serve God and money. But it goes deeper than this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says this. This is a pretty famous scripture about money. You've probably heard it, and it gets misquoted a lot, but listen to the words very carefully. He says, For the love of money, doesn't it say money itself? He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money, not money itself. Money itself is amoral. It's not good and or bad. It's what we put our money to, right? But Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Why is that? Why is the love of money the root of all kinds of evil? Because the love of money is ultimately our heart and soul. The inner part of us saying, I will be self-sufficient. I don't need God. Come on. The love of money is is a declaration at an intrinsic, deep level of pride. Pride is a a root sin. Pride is an insidious thing. It manifests in so many ways in our life. But pride says, if, if I could acquire enough, then I don't need to have a rich relationship with God. Jesus talks about the kind of relationship we are to have with God and money. It's to be a relationship where we depend upon God to be our provider. But we don't like that, do we? We like to be able to take care of it ourselves and feel safe and secure. But Jesus says, look, that's foolish because ultimately your life is not in your own hands. God has it all in the end anyways. So having a rich relationship with him is where security is at. It's not in storing up. That's an illusion. Does that make sense? It's an illusion. And so Paul says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's this illusion of pride, and and pride is such a central sin. And ultimately what it does is it separates us from God. It says, I'm pursuing uh, enough resources and finances and stuff so that I can continually move God into the side position. Do you see why this is the root of all kinds of evil? It looks so sanitized and clean, but it's not. It's not. The love of money, when I put money in an idolatrous position, it takes me further and further away from God. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. It's one or the other. But as we come to the end here today, I want to encourage you that there is a secret of satisfaction that we can know. And it's right in the scripture. A secret of satisfaction for how to defeat this part of us that that wants to find security and satisfaction in stuff and in resources apart from God. Back in Philippians in chapter 4, Paul is writing in, to the, the church in Philippi. He says, "How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. But I wasn't ever in need, he says. For I have learned how to be content. Listen to this here. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. That is a powerful thing. If you are content with whatever you have, money has no hold on you. The presence or the absence, it has no hold. How much, how little, doesn't matter because I'm content with what I have. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And listen to this. He says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty. You're like, preacher, stop preaching. I have an empty stomach. I need to go fill it. I've learned to live with plenty or little. And this is the secret. He says, for I can do everything through Christ. Say these three words with me, everything through Christ. Everything through Christ. That is the secret. When everything goes through Christ, everything is going to be all right. When everything comes from Christ, when everything is for Christ, everything through Christ. This is like the most misquoted scripture. People are like, I throw a football, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, I'm going on a mission trip, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The context of this is, is is this area of resources and finances and finding contentment and satisfaction. Paul's not giving a, a, a verse here for quarterbacks to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ. And that's fine to put that on, you know, a sign or whatever. That's fine. But the context of this is a, is a deeply existential statement about where to find your satisfaction. Come on. Yes. Everything through Christ. Paul says the secret, the secret. And you go, that's too simple. No, it's not simple. It's easy to understand, but it's hard to do, yeah. Yeah. okay? It's hard to do. He says the secret to, to learning to live with plenty, having a lot, which we'd rather have a lot, sure, but, but what about when you don't have a lot? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you didn't have a lot? You're like, right now, I don't have a lot. And maybe you're here and you're like, I, I do have a lot. Well, wherever you are at on this spectrum, Paul says, look, I know the secret, I know the secret. It's that everything through Christ. I can do everything through Christ. When I am in Christ, I am satisfied. My future is secure. Come on, somebody. Everything through Christ. This is the secret to finding contentment, to finding satisfaction in this area of finances. It's not the presence or the absence of money that satisfies us. And I believe that today through this message and God's word speaking to us, that you could be set free and disconnected from that chain that connects you to your your money and your resources being uh, the the source of your content or discontent. How many of you have ever been tied like a ball in a chain to that? Right? Anybody else? I remember when Bethany and I first got married, we did not have Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey had not come into our life. And uh, Dave Ramsey is the guy that talks about getting debt-free. You know, people call the radio show, we're debt-free, you know, and it's awesome. But Bethany and I were not debt-free we had a lot of debt. And so we came together and we're like, let's buy furniture. Let's go on a, you know, $6,000 honeymoon and like charge it, you know, and we're just going crazy. And so we have all this debt. And I remember going to eat and my parents would be like, hey, we're going to go to Red Lobster. And I'm just like, oh my God, they don't have the lunch special anymore. Right? They'd be like, hey, let's go to Olive Garden. Like, is it like the, do they have the two for 20 thing going on? Like, is it? Because I was I was freaked out because why I knew that the money that we had coming in was just barely covering the, the expenses going out, and we kept piling up debt. And I, and I felt like a slave. The Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. I was a slave to my debt, and that was right in my mind all the time. Why? Because I was connected with that. Now, here's what had to happen. I had to get some renewal in my thinking about resources and finances, and that's why thank God for Dave Ramsey. You can go to our that give tab on our website, and there's some resources there to help you learn how to walk this out practically. But on the inside, Dave Ramsey can't do anything for you. What you need to do is get connected so that your life mentality, your perspective is now everything through Christ. Whether I'm in debt or I'm out of debt or I'm content with my finances or not or wherever this looks like or wherever my financial picture is at, whatever it looks like, in Jesus, I can do all things and he's the secret. Come on, somebody, for finding satisfaction. All right, we're wrapping up here. I want to give you three takeaways today. Three questions to ask yourself about money. And we're not taking up an offering, okay? So, like, if you gave a million dollars or you didn't, whatever, don't even worry about it. We're just, this is just teaching for you. You all right? You good? Uh, three questions about money. Number one, does my financial strategy require any faith? And by this, I mean, does it, do you depend upon God? When you, when you get out at the beginning of the month and you budget your money or, or you talk to your wife or your husband about your finances, is it all about what you can do and what you're going to do and your plans and your life strategy and here's my five-year plan or is there a space for God to come in and say, here's where I'm going to have you be generous. Here's where I'm going to have you stretch to give. To missions. Here's where I'm going to have you stretch to give to this charity. Here's where I'm going to have you stretch to take care of this poor person. You see what I'm saying? Does your financial strategy require any faith, or is it achievable, doable, and and all processed by your natural thinking? I want to challenge you to answer that question this week. Does my financial strategy require any faith? Okay. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. I believe that to please God and walk in wisdom. In the area of finances, our financial strategy does require us to have faith to hear God and and do what He says to do with our finances and resources. Number two, what does my money say about my priorities? We'll get the lights back on. Sorry about that. they're They're on a timer here at the theater, so we get put in the dark every once in a while. Hey, what does my money say about my priorities? This is question two What does my money say about my priorities? If you were to show someone your check ledger, Uh, What would they see you really cared about? TV, HBO, right? Uh, Would they see that you really cared about clothes? Would they see that you really cared about... What would it look like if they saw your priorities, you know? Uh, Or they saw your money? What, What would it say about your priorities? Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, where your treasure is, there your heart is. My wife and I made a commitment. We were newly married and I even told you, we didn't have good thoughts about money. We were in debt, we had some problems... But for, for a long period of our marriage, my wife and I, we actually gave 35% of our income away. Now, I'll tell you why we did that. You're know, like, you were, in, you were idiots, you were in debt, you shouldn't have done that. That was true. We should probably have gotten out of debt first. But actually, though, I'll tell you, it worked out for us because we, we had been trained that you cannot outgive God. We had been trained uh, with a mindset of generosity that, that, man, when you lay up treasures in heaven, that's where our treasure went because that's where we wanted our heart to be and we wanted the heart of our children to be. We said, we, if, if our heart follows money, I want to put, I want to I take my money and I want to put it where I want my heart to go. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, if your kids see you and they see, they know where your money goes, right? Kids are really smart. And, and they see that all your money goes to cable TV and that nice house and the big TV and, and the boat and the car. Then guess where your, your, your family's heart is? It's, it's there. And so my wife and I, we, we, just, we just said, we're just going to be generous. We, we want to live this way. And man, it, it made our heart go to the house of God. It made our heart go to the things of God. It made our heart follow to world missions. It made our heart follow to want to be givers. The Lord speaks to us at times and says, just give this person money. And I remember a couple of years ago, the Lord, there was somebody in church that was there and they were just visiting And the Lord just spoke to my wife and I and said, give him $1,000. And so I'm like, Bethany, um, I feel like we're supposed to give him $1,000. And she's like looking at me like, we don't got $1,000 to give these people. You know, I'm like, hey, you know, but actually she's like, do it. She's a huge heart of generosity. And we did it. And you know what? We were fine. God provided for us. It was good. Our heart goes where our money is. What does my money say about my priorities? Where am I making an investment? Where am I making an investment? Number three, My overcoming greed by living generously. Jesus told us early on in the message, we we read that passage where he says, Beware, guard against greed. Greed is our default state of mind, right? That's like my little daughter, my little angel. Mine, because why? Greed is her default. Not generosity, greed. Oh, but she's so cute. Yeah, she's a greedy little monster. Let me just tell you right now. If we don't get her like a cracker in half a second when she wants it, you know, Like, greed is the default. Can I get an amen? Anybody have kids? And uh, we know inside of our heart, we mask it, but isn't it? It's like, mine, 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 mine. Where's my popcorn? Where's my soda? Where's my seat? Why is this guy so tall in the front of me? Like, we want our way. You know, even marketing is catered towards human greed. And so we have to actively fight against greed by being generous. Generosity breaks the power of greed. God wants us to have open hands. But God doesn't want you to have empty hands. You know, I was in Cambodia several years ago, and I remember going on this river cruise and seeing these people that were so poor, they couldn't even live on the land. They literally were living on boats and pontoons and little shacks out on the river. And it deeply, deeply impacted me. And I I, I started to say in myself, in my heart, I have too much. I don't want to have this much because I felt guilty. The Lord very clearly spoke to me and said, I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to be poor. I want them to be increased. Christianity is never about us coming down to be poor like somebody else. The gospel is here to elevate people. God wants to bless you generously. God wants to pour out resources. I believe the Lord wants to create multimillionaires, but not for themselves so they can sit there and say, Soul, I can take it easy. I've stored up my goods. God wants to bless us so we can be a blessing to others. God wants to increase us so that we can elevate the condition of others, so that we can give money to fund the, uh, the, the message and the mission of Jesus in our world and help bring God's kingdom uh, uh, manifested here on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, somebody. Am I fighting greed by being generous? God said, Jake, I don't want you to have empty hands. I want you to have open hands. Meaning that when you see poverty, take the blessing that I've given to you and don't hold it for yourself. But have open hands so that God, I can say, if you get it, that, that God, you can get it through me. He'll get it to me if he can get it through me. Does that make sense? God, if you put blessing in my hands, I'm not just going to stock it up for myself and my family. But Lord, when you bless me, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give. And what does that do? It's, it starts to break the power of greed. It starts to break this the, the insatiable hunger for more and more and more. It starts to break the power of looking for satisfaction in another source other than Jesus. Stuff will never satisfy me because true satisfaction is only found in a rich relationship with God, in a rich relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, listen to this. It's so incredible. You know, Paul says, he says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are thankful for generous grace? How many of you go, yeah, I stalked probably a lot of sin, so I need a pretty generous grace. I'm right here with you. You know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. For my sake, Jesus, who sat at the right hand of the Father and had all the riches, all the glory, all the honor, he willingly laid it down talks about it in Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself of his divine attributes and he left the right hand of the Father. And he came down and he dwelt among us. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So when Jesus says, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life, he put his money where his mouth was. He gave up all the riches. He gave up the position of honor, the place at the right hand of the Father. He stepped down became a man and laid it all on the line so that you and I could be set free from the worthless power of possessions that possess us and be set free to live in generosity and understand what it means that when you have a rich relationship with God, you have everything else and the presence and or the absence of finances and resources no longer have a hold upon your soul and that now Jesus is occupying that place of worship. Come on, who wants to have a rich relationship with Jesus? He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Come on, take a bite today, of the bread of life. He said, I'm the water of life. When you take a drink from this well, you're never going to thirst again. Let's stand up this morning, let's pray.